Well, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus told a story once about a farmer, but this wasn't your typical farmer. When springtime came and it was time to plant his crop, this farmer went out to his field and began to throw his seed with an almost reckless abandon. Some of the seed fell on the path leading to the field. Some of the seed fell on the rocky soil where there was very little little ground for the seeds to take root. Still others fell among the thorns. But a portion did fall on good soil where the seed took root, sprouted up, and grew a bumper crop. Now, as Jesus tells this parable and explains it to his disciples, he tells them that that seed that was thrown was the very word of God, that thing which creates faith in us. And faith, like that seed, is meant to grow. Now, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this second letter to Timothy, this is really what he's concerned with, how our faith grows. Not so much with the beginning, how faith comes to us. He's written and spoken about that numerous other times. Faith is a gift that is freely given to us. It's something that God gives and we simply receive. So the beginning point of our journey of faith really is in baptism, where that word of God is implanted in us. Baptism is the beginning, not the end of that journey. In the same way, in just a couple weeks, on Reformation Day, our ninth graders will celebrate their confirmation, where they will confirm their faith before our congregation. Confirmation, too, is just one milestone, one faith milestone along that journey with Christ, a journey that begins in our baptism and ends when we draw our final breath. What Paul writes here to Timothy in chapters 3 and 4 is really concerned with how that faith, that seed which is planted in us at the beginning, how that faith grows. And two things that he says it requires. I love how he puts it at the end of this passage in uh, 2 Timothy 4, where he says that there will come a time when people will follow their itching ears and be led astray many false doctrines and teachings. So for us, and the the encouragement that Paul gives to you and to, to me is the same that he gave to Timothy. There are two things that are necessary for us to stay on the path that Jesus has placed us on and for our faith to grow. And there are godly witnesses, godly examples in our lives, and God's word itself. So let's see what Paul has to say about this. If you look at our epistle reading again for tonight in verse 14, uh, this is what he says to Timothy. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Earlier in this letter, Paul has already spoken of those uh, earliest moments of Timothy's life and how he first heard the word of God was through a godly mother and a godly grandmother. He says, I'm reminded of your faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and then in your mother, and now I'm convinced dwells in you as well. Timothy had an advantage that not every Christian has. 
the advantage of a godly parent and a godly grandparent. As parents, and many of you know this from experience, the greatest, you could say, the, the greatest task God has given us as parents is to share our faith in Christ with our children. To not only discipline them, but to disciple them, to train them into what it looks like to follow Jesus throughout our days and throughout our years. Sometimes that happens intentionally and sometimes it happens unintentionally as they just simply watch us and watch our patterns of behavior and our patterns of action. I recognized this uh, first when our kids were little and it caught me by surprise with our first daughter, Mackenzie, because of course, while I kind of walked into that experience as a new parent, thinking in the back of my mind there were probably some things I was going to have to learn. Uh, I approached that with the maybe same arrogance I approach a lot of things for the first time I do them. That's no problem. I got this. Uh, But one of the really cool things I learned with Mackenzie especially, and I can say this because she's not here. She's 13 now and she does not like the call outs I do. So if any of you see her uh, don't mention that I mentioned her name because I didn't clear this one with her at first. Uh, but it's not super embarrassing. But I remember when our when Mackenzie finally got to the age where she was old enough to sit in a high chair with us at our meal times. Uh, we sat her in the chair and Jamie and I would pray before we began to eat. I remember the first time that Mackenzie, before she could speak, bowed her head and folded her hands as we prayed. I remember how cool that was. It wasn't something we necessarily taught her. It was just something Jamie and I did at the beginning of every meal. But that, and in so many other ways, our children, our grandchildren, they learn from us. And our parents become godly examples for us. But it's not just parents that we have, that God has given us as godly examples, what it, that can, who can help just instruct us on how to follow Christ. Paul broadens that circle out when he says in verse 14, knowing whom you've learned it, uh, that learning the faith. And Paul broadens that for Timothy, Paul was that godly example for him as well. You know, I think back to my own life, you know, my parents were really the, the first people that introduced me to God and God's word as we, you know, my earliest memories at bedtime would be, you know, reading stories, Bible stories together and praying together. My grandparents did that too, especially my grandma Uglum and grandpa Uglum up on the farm in Wisconsin. And every time at the end of one of our visits, they'd gather us together before we loaded up into the van and they'd read a psalm and we'd pray together. But beyond that, I, I think back on my life the 42-odd years God has given me so far, and there have been so many godly examples that God has sent my way who helped to teach me, to train me. And to be perfectly honest, I'm still learning from others. Remember, one in particular was my very first pastor, Pastor Bira from Michigan. I was... Uh, there, uh, he was the one who baptized me. I, he was the one I began to confirm my faith with. There were more Sunday school teachers than I can remember in the, the time that I was in church who not only 
taught me the Word of God and shared Bible stories, but also, with more patience than I can imagine now, uh, listened to my questions and did their best to answer them or find the answers to them. And there were countless other people in the churches that I've been involved with over the years who I've seen as godly examples. And I pray that that has been your experience as well. Think a little bit about who those godly examples would be for you. And if you're looking for them, know this, you're not looking for perfect people. Because if you, if you try to look for perfect people to set up as godly examples for your life, all you're doing is setting them and yourself up for disappointment because none of us are perfect. We all sin and fall short of God's glory. But a godly example is one who follows Christ and recognizes that in those moments when they sin or in those moments when they're confronted with their sin by another, they repent. They turn back to Christ and the forgiveness that he freely offers. And so when it comes to growing our faith and watching our faith grow over time, we need those godly examples. It's why God has given us this church because like those seeds that are planted in a field, they're not meant to grow alone. They're meant to grow side by side, strengthening one another. But godly examples are just one of the things that we need to grow. We also need God's own word. This word that begins our faith, that starts it in us, is also the thing that strengthens our faith, enriches it over time. This is how Paul describes this. He says, continue... uh, From what you've learned in childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture has been breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. God gives us his word to teach us and to correct us. And Paul talks about the power of this word or the uniqueness of this word uh, being comprised of two things. Its origin and its power are what makes what we call the Bible the unique gift that it is. When you think about the Bible, it's a collection of books and letters that were penned by different people over a span of hundreds of years. And yet, Paul talks about this as as though God himself breathed out these scriptures. So when when we look at how they came to be the way they are, in some cases, God gave the individuals who wrote these books and letters visions or dreams. To some, he dictated to them exactly what he wanted them to write. In one case, on Mount Sinai, God himself wrote on tablets of stone the law and gave them to Moses. And more often than not, God simply gifted these writers and used the skill that they had to pen the words that he desired. And so what we're left with at the end is a one unified book that is about God, not about us, and is everything that God has intended for us to know about salvation, about the world around us, about ourselves and our relationship with him. 
And the incredible thing about these Bibles is that while they were written by different authors over spans of hundreds of years, it all does come together to make one unified whole. Where in the Old Testament we look at the the whole of the Old Testament in its entirety as pointing us forward to Jesus, to, to this moment where Jesus hung on the cross to redeem us. And all of the New Testament in this way looks backward onto that moment again as it looks forward to Christ's coming again. But more than just its origin that, that makes it unique, it's also its power that makes it unique. Because while it may look the same as any other book that you'd find on your bookshelf, it is God's word and God has promised to speak to us through it. As Paul talks about it here, he encourages us to search the scriptures, to see in them that God will instruct us on how he wants us to live, not just what he wants us to know. But he tells us that in these scriptures, God will also do uncomfortable things with them. Call us out. When we're walking on a path other than the path that Jesus has set for us. The scriptures are incredible in that we hear in them the very word of God speaking to us. And many of you probably know this experientially. If you've ever picked up your Bible and began reading, whether you're reading a Bible plan or you're just reading something for the day and you flip to a page and you begin reading God's word and you realize that God is speaking to you, speaking into this moment and this circumstance in your life in a way that you couldn't have imagined. What happens is you're reading a passage, maybe that's familiar, maybe that you've read or you've heard 5, 10, 20 times before, and yet you see in that familiar passage God telling you something, pointing out something that you had never seen before. Because the circumstances of your life changed, or God is simply highlighting something new for you. But make no mistake. This faith that God plants in each one of us by grace is meant to grow as we grow. So find those godly examples in your life and maybe take a moment this week, pick up a phone or search them out and thank them for the witness and the example that they've been to you and spend time in God's word. Pray that God, through the working of the Holy Spirit, would speak to you through his word because he's promised to do just that. In his name, amen.